Wahnsinn. Let's pray, friends. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Give us wisdom as we seek to understand it today. Amen. Friends, I'm going to start by handing you a sheet of paper, which is the text from tonight's reading. It also has other text on it, um, which you will discover. I'll pass them around, it's all right, not many of us. Um, And my question to you to start with tonight is, well, no, 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 let me not give you the question yet. Let me tell you, let me talk you through the sheet of paper. Too many hands. One, two, three. One, two. You'll notice that um, the left-hand column is 2 Peter chapter 2, and the right-hand column is Jude. Um, don't worry about Jude just now, uh, because um, uh, it's, it's something we're going to talk about at, one, at some point, uh, which is that um, Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2 have uh, significant similarities, shall we say. Uh, and there's a whole set of questions. Uh, and then the back side of the page, you will see the other half of 2 Peter chapter 2, which we're talking about next week. Um, and I think it is going to be me in the end. Um, Paul Filmer's not quite well enough to preach uh, next week. So um, I thought I'd give you that as well, given I was printing stuff out. So for now, why don't you fold your piece of paper in a sort of long ways vertical thing like that? So you're only focused on the, first, on the, on the passage we've had. And I would like you to talk in your rows, although rows you'll have to talk to John and to to Chris, um, and decide which verse, if you were going to choose one of them to remember, which verse would you want to memorise? Okay? I'll give you uh, three or four minutes. So just from that passage we've had read, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to the beginning of 10, um, which which verse or, or sentence or phrase would you choose to memorize if you had the choice? And you could only memorize one verse maximum. And I'm going to get a pen. Hello. So, friends, hopefully you've had a bit of a chance to think. Tell me then, uh, which verse would you like to memorize if you could only memorize one of those 10 verses or phrase or, or, or sentence or whatever? Anybody willing to talk to me first? Nine? Nine? The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Okay? You guys had... That righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. That's eight. Is that right? Okay. That's interesting. Minority report there. Okay. Uh, Louise. Verse three. Yep. Okay. 
So if, if, the, if the verse you want to memorise, which I want to suggest is also the key verse that explains the rest of the passage, um, is verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and, so two statements here, to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Given that, which other verses would you want to explore more because you don't understand them? Given, I did ask you that question, but you know, I don't know if you got that far. Or verse 4, you'd like to think about? If God didn't spare the angels when they sinned? Yep. Yep. Secretly introducing destructive heresies. What are those destructive heresies? Does it really matter? Don't know. We'll find out. question. Whether anybody knows is a good question as well. Okay. Any other verses you were keen to, you're keen to explore? Okay. That gets the kind of mind of things going. That's fine. Um, I think... I think that verse 9 is as I said, is, is very much the key to all this. And I think there are two things. One is that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And secondly, he knows how to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. And I think, for me, there's kind of... The, the, the second bit is something that we'd quite like to do. We'd like to do that bit of God, wouldn't we? We'd like to go, right, you're unrighteous, you need punishing now. But actually, we're told to let... God be God and let vengeance be mine, says the Lord. Uh, Romans 12, echoing Deuteronomy 32, 35. Um, and actually we need to hold off and let God be the one and trust God that he will bring the unrighteous to punishment on the day of judgment. Whereas actually I think in our heart to hearts we'd quite like to do that and just sort them out. But also, there's that sense then that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and we are amongst the godly. So let's, let's go, kind of go, having, having heard that, um, let's go back a bit um, and have a look. Um, verse 1 then, we wanted to talk about secretly introducing destructive heresies. Um, it, it is not obvious from the context as to what those heresies are. But I think it's very intriguing that not only have we got the the phrasing about greed in verse 3, but also uh, verse 1. It's quite easy just to miss out that stuff about even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, paid for them. And that sense of the death of Jesus, um, uh, it brings a particular view of the atonement, doesn't it? That actually we, we are paid for, we are bought. You know, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, as in it is all paid. I've paid the price for your life. I've redeemed you from 
well, effectively from, from ownership by Satan to ownership by God. And that sense that actually our lives belong to God is something that the writer, Peter, in possibly, possibly not, as we heard about a couple of weeks ago, um, the writer recognizes that actually something of the heretical nature of the false teachers is that they they somehow deny, as it says there, the sovereign Lord who bought them. That sense of, of, of moving away from that recognition that we belong to God. And it, um, I think we still see that today, don't we? That actually there are, can be times when we, um, we, we want to live for ourselves and we can become quite self Centered, rather than saying actually we are called to be people who recognize and continue to recognize that sense that God has bought us or you know, God in Jesus bought us. Um, and so we are not our own. I think of some of that stuff that Paul writes about in terms of, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a free agent. Actually, I'm a slave to Christ. And we often have that contrast, don't we, from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ. But actually... There is that sense in which we, once we are, once we are in Christ, there is a sense in which we ought not to think of ourselves as free to sin. But we are called to honour God and to love God and to glory, bring glory to God in all that we say and do and think and are. So I can't tell you what those destructive heresies were or what the greed um, was, but you could imagine the um, the situations where people bring um, new teachings and want to be paid for them um, you know I want to tell you a little more about what Jesus said and 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 expand on what God told us in Jesus and yet they want paying for it first I don't know if you've ever watched some of those um, videos that you can see on, 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 on YouTube that sort of try to sell you things and they, they, they tantalize you and get you to start watching and watching and watching and watching and then you realize actually they're not going to tell you the answer. They're going to sell you a package, whether it's about how to you know, retire at 45 or whether it's about how to you know, live in fantastically, amazingly good health or whatever it might be. What they want is your money, but they suck you in with your time to start with. Um, and I think it's, it's that sense here that I wonder whether these false teachers, um, the, the way they're described, whether they just, they kind of are amongst and then they start offering slightly different views that are at odds with the gospel and then they begin to exploit others around them and they start with those that will listen to them. And it goes on and goes on and goes on. And yes, who knows quite what those heresies were. Let's look at verse 4 then. Um, if you have a Bible, you might want to read uh, Genesis chapter 6 with me at this point. Genesis 6, 1 to 4. Which has an interesting echo for us. Genesis 6. There it is. 
Genesis 6, 1-4. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim, who were on the, were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children with them, by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. That's an odd little passage, isn't it? You know, is this really Genesis claiming that this is the sort of source of some of the sort of maybe the the Norse god heroic stories type stuff? Not sure. But there is that sense of humans and angels. And I think, I think most people would want to say that to Peter is referencing that rather than the destruction, the, 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 the Satan's rebellion, um, which we get referenced at um, Revelation 12. Let me read you that as well. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. We read this a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, quite a few weeks ago now though. Um, great sign appeared in heaven a woman clothed with the sun the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth then another sign appeared in heaven an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns um, and seven crowns on its heads uh, on its heads yes its its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour the child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her throne was snatched up, her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. That's that's Satan's rebellion. And yet I think the stuff about angels cohabiting with women, um, I think is more likely to be in view for two Peter. Although quite where Peter gets his thinking about, or whoever it is that wrote it, about putting them in chains of darkness to be held for, 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 for judgment, that comes from texts that we don't have in the Bible. But there's quite a few things that happen like that. Um, and if you just now choose to kind of look across to Jude you'll notice actually Jude says something pretty similar. 
verse 6, the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. It's an interesting little snippet of which we find it quite hard when we live and we, we, we rely on only, as it were, the main text that we have in the Bible. There are other texts that will give us some sense of, of indication that this is not, not being made up, this is being referenced of, of other material. Um, the chains of darkness. So there's a sense um, it, that we get in the, in the other texts about this, the angels being imprisoned in hell in darkness uh, awaiting final judgment. Um, but they, they are held for judgment. I think that's the point, that they are held, as it were, in a place where they can do no further harm, but then they, they will be judged eventually. And, and again, all of this points back to that verse 9 stuff about being judgment happening on the day of judgment, punishment happening on the day of judgment. Um, you've... Nobody wanted to talk more about Noah, but that's fine. Um, if you are concerned about the seven others, don't worry. That was Noah, Noah's wife, his three children, and, and their wives. So three children and three wives, six, and then Noah's wife is seven, as well as Noah. Um, let's have a look at Sodom and Gomorrah for a minute, because um, obviously... We have quite a few verses, one, two, whatever, two verses at least on this. Genesis 19 gives us Sodom and Gomorrah. It's one of those texts that's quite hard these days to preach on, given the present um, uh, debate, shall we say, about the future of the Church of England and the future of how things, how we're going to understand things. I don't really want to get into that tonight, just to notice that um, what we have in 2 Peter echoes what we have in Genesis 19, in that, yes, Lot was rescued, um, he was uh, indeed, a righteous man, but living in a very unrighteous city. And um, it was not a pleasant night for those two angels that arrived in Sodom in the evening, as you see at the beginning of chapter 19. I don't think I want to take time to um, read it all to you, but um, as you can see, the angels um, urged Lot to move out of the city. Uh, at the coming of dawn, see verse 15. Take your wife and your two children, uh, two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. Um, and the men grasped his hand and, and the hands of his wife and his daughters and led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. Flee for your lives, don't look back. And then that um, famous bit about how Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Verse 26. But... I think the stuff about 
Lot's distress at the depraved conduct of the lawless um, probably gets seen most clearly at uh, verse 6 of chapter 19 of Genesis 19. Lot went outside to meet them, that is the men that had come to their door who were, who were wanting um, Lot to give them the... Um, to bring out the two guests to them. Um, Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you. I mean, it just, you just can't now imagine that this, be, this was a, in any sense a sensible um, uh, bargaining tool almost. But anyway, um, the angels, verse 10, um, reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. And they struck all the men that were blind. Uh, so they couldn't find the door, which is just a brilliant piece of God at work. But knowing all that, what we're told then is, given all that, remember that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He rescued Lot. He rescued Noah. He rescued... Hmm, what did he do? What did he do with the angels? Well, he put them in, in, in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. So he separated angels from humans. And effectively rescued humans from the um, attentions, as it were. The inappropriate attentions of those angels. And um, Peter's point is that we need to recognize that whatever's going on with us, God knows and God can sort it out. And yes, the examples we have are that the, the righteous continued to live, but equally there are many examples of people who have been martyred uh, for their faith. But still, you would say, well, what was the worst that happened to them? Well, they died and they went to be with God in heaven. And so in a sense they didn't die. They, they physically died but they spiritually didn't die. Um, but Peter's trying to be, or, or whoever wrote this, he's trying to be encouraging to his hearers, his readers, um, and say actually let's remember these good things where God has actually rescued righteous people from difficult situations. And you're left going, I'm left going, well, what, how does that work for each of us? How do, we, how do we hang on to that kind of truth in the midst of difficulty? How do we? Well, how's perhaps not the right word, because actually that's what we're called to do. That's part of God, what we're taught, is to, is to hang on, to recognize that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And also, as we've talked about, is to not get ourselves into that point where we want to bring punishment on the unrighteous before the due time. We're called to be people who hold out that hand of friendship, who encourage others to come into a righteous living with God throughout our lives rather than ever writing anybody off 
Now, let's just look a little bit more at Jude. Um, what you have in the box on the right is some verses from Jude, which um, lots of people have noticed are incredibly similar to what you have in 2 Peter. And there's always a bit of a question about if you've got text like this, who wrote it first? Who's copying who? Who's summarizing who? Or who's expanding who? Uh, and frankly, the answer at this point is nobody knows. Um, but they, you know, it's the sort of thing that keeps people awake for years. Um, or keep it in jobs, at least, for years. Um, and, and in the end, I have to say, does it matter? Possibly not. Oh, Peter, look at me askance at this point. Anyway, let me read you this. This is Jude, chapter, uh, Jude verse 4. There's only one chapter in Jude. Uh, Certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Yes, into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one point at one time, sorry, delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding times gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example to those who suffer, of those, sorry, who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And then if you look on the back, again, I'm not going to read any of this because this takes us into next week. But again, the the verses, the quote from Jude continues in the right-hand box. And the quote from 2 Peter 2 continues in the left-hand box. And you'll see a continuing um, sense of um, stuff that you can compare. Topics that are very similar, phrases that are uh, echo one from the other and sometimes one seems to expand the other and one means and, and explains the other. And um, if you want to get yourselves properly prepared for next week, then have a good read of the back page, but not now. Let's go back to the front page. So let's just pick up on this again. Um, Let's look at verse 8 again, because it is of interest, isn't it? For that righteous man, living among them day by day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. And I'm really aware that we... whatever we whatever it is we do actually often see what might be considered to be lawless deeds and i wonder are we tormented or are we actually a little hardened to what we see do we find ourselves 
with compassion. When we see perhaps something that perhaps it's, the lawless feels a little difficult, doesn't it? Let's think about situations of unjust injustice. Um, but do we find ourselves actually bringing those situations to God, or do we just walk on by and just not choose to notice? a challenge I think for us all because actually our our reaction our as it were the opportunity the, 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 the seeing this world through God's eyes actually is something that we are called to do but I think we sometimes don't want to Partly because of the pace of life we live at. Partly because we feel inadequate. Partly because we feel that we can do nothing very much to help. But actually we are called to be people who are, as it were, attuned to God's spirit within us. And as we see stuff that, that as it were, God weeps over We too need to take time to weep. We need to take, need to take time to, 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 to seek God's intervention in those things. Let's take a moment to pray. Father God, you know the trials and tribulations that we face. And we recognize before you that each of us is different. And yet you know all about us. Thank you for that reminder that you know how to rescue the godly from trials. And Father, I ask that even in the deepest and darkest and most difficult trials, we would hang on to that faith that we have in you. that we would recognize that this earth is only a temporary dwelling. That we would not lose heart, but know again your love for us, 
recognize again that there is a sense in which you want to prepare our souls for eternity. So, Father, we ask that you would continue to refine us. That you would continue to reveal yourself to us. That we might know again your heartbeat, but to your heartache for this world. We might know again your desire that all would come to a knowledge of you, to repentance, to faith in you. Give us a renewed heart of compassion, we pray. And when we're hard and cold, challenge us, we ask. For we want to live to your glory and honour. And Father, give us courage when we hear new things, when we hear teaching that doesn't feel perhaps quite right, to bring it back to the Bible, to bring it back to what we know of you, of your love for us, of your calling to us, of the way that you've revealed yourself in your words. Give us that wisdom and that intuition that we need not to be caught up in destructive heresies. Lord, have mercy, we pray.